RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. You might have heard of the documentary We Came Here for Freedom Part 1, came out last November. Now, We Came Here for Freedom Part 2 is out and touring the country. Alistair Harding is the producer, director, writer, all those things of those two documentaries, that two-part series so far. And he joins us on Reality Check Radio. You've heard his voice before. You'll probably recognise it. He's uh, been involved with Chantel and her show. Alistair, thanks for coming on this morning. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. A fine piece of work is what I would say, and I've made a few in my time, so I know what I'm saying. So, well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's it's taken, it's uh, it's been a labour of love for probably, well, well over a year and a half now, hasn't it? Yep. And, and that time has flown and a lot has happened and a lot more will happen, believe me. Anyway, we're here to talk about this production. I've watched it uh, yesterday and I got to say, my blood pressure is still up. It hasn't bad, gone huh? down. Well, that bad, that good, hard to find the word. Um, Of course, I was, like many Kiwis, glued to those live streams during that time and have a little bit of guilt that I didn't get my ass off where I was and down there, but I think we're balancing that out with what we're doing now, but that's another story. But to see it so concentrated in your documentary in one hour, 12 minutes, I think, really hit me. Have other people said that? Yeah, actually, um, part one was an interesting film to make because it was a lot. It was about the convoy to begin with, and those those lovely feelings of people coming together and that release of um, of all the bad feelings that had happened, and that that feeling that we weren't all alone anymore. And there was solidarity in that, and it was really joyful. And I got a lot of comments about part one being something which elicited a lot of tears um, in people, just joyful tears. And part two, on the other hand, though, is it follows It follows on. It goes from about February the 14th um, of the occupation. And, of course, that time, that period of time was after the joy of us all coming together when we all just, everybody just hunkered down on Parliament lawns and the attacks came in thick and strong. First of all, from the likes of Michael Wood, and you see that in the film where he he gives the River of Filth speech. Then, of course, the media sort of doubled down on that. And um, and then you saw that the reflection of that in the way the police reacted and how the government reacted and how the, the po- politicians wouldn't come out and speak, and it just became more and more frustrating, didn't it? And And I think that that's probably where the that anger comes from because it did build up over that time. And this is a, a film about what I experienced through, through that time. And so, yeah, overwhelmingly the feelings that we've had as we go around the country doing this, this, this promotional tour, the comments that I get back, uh, first of all, thank you for telling our story. And then secondly, I'm angry this gov- what this government did to our people was a horrible thing to do. And I'd even, you know, push to the word evil. Um, and I've had that comment a number of times. Yeah. Um, it was more than just getting something wrong. It, mm. it, it came across 
I mean, I already knew this, but to see it concentrated, you could see the willful effort in what was being done. Yeah, there's there's a scene in part one, actually, which to me, there's a few scenes in both part one and part two, which sum up that. And in part one, there's one in particular where there's a the the protesters are sitting there on on February the tenth on the lawns of Parliament, and there's one young lady who ended up getting arrested that day, but she was just sitting there cross-legged meditating. And there were some policemen, and she was right on the front line, and there were some policemen standing there right in front of her. And you can see very clearly in the footage, the policeman standing right in front of her moves his foot forward so that it's touching her foot. So he's just trying to antagonize her. And then in the shot, you see one of the other protesters gets pushed by a policeman and he falls on top of this young lady. And so she's sitting there cross-legged meditating. She doesn't see him coming. Her eyes are closed. And as he falls on her, her feet lift up and you see the policeman push his foot forward so that when she brings her feet back down, she'll be, she'll land on them. And so then she'll move back or something. And it always makes me think that was this guy's job that day. He put his pants on and he decided he was going to go and antagonize some protesters. Um, and so, yeah, that deliberate thing that you're talking about, to me, that kind of it was encapsulated in that moment, for me anyway. The river of filth comment you just mentioned, Michael, would be yep. for. Those comments, hearing them all again in one go, he was just like spraying a machine gun of <laughs> bullshit. There's and no it was other very word deliberate. It. it was totally deliberate, Paul. Uh, it, it, the reason he did that, when you when you spend as much time looking at it as I do and actually having to transcribe that that speech of his, you realize that he was, it was a spray gun because all he was trying to do was dehumanize the protesters. That's all they were doing. Um so that so that they had an excuse for what they did on March the 2nd. You know, if you dehumanize people, then you're able to treat them as less than human. You can treat them as animals. And I think um, that's all Michael Wood was doing. I mean, you look at that and he called us, he called the protesters uh, anti-Semites and Islamophobes at one point. All in when one you think go. about mm, yeah. all in one go, and when you think about that, how ridiculous is that? He just solved the Middle East peace crisis on the front lawns of Parliament, really. He yeah. got those two sides together to come and fight the mandates in New Zealand. Um, I, yeah. I don't kind of understand. Unintended consequence. <laughs> but, you know, it was all about dehumanizing the protesters. And so when we go around doing this um, this promotional tour, that's overwhelmingly the feeling is that this this is a healing experience to show people this. Um, they come along and they see it on the big screen and they, uh, they, they see their stories there in a human context. So I sort of see it as being, this is sort of a rehumanizing effort. Are you rehumanizing though, the people who really need it? Are people turning up to screenings who were, you know, not with the program mm. at the time and coming to any sort of realization oh, because what... that's what we have to do as a nation. It seems to me. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I've been trying to do when I introduce the film at each of the places that we go to 
is to stand up there and say, you know, welcome to all the freedom fighters who are here. Welcome to all the people that supported us from afar, um, who sent donations and all of that. But also, most importantly, thank you for all the people who maybe were on the other side of the argument and maybe still are on the other side of the argument. Thank you for coming and opening your mind because this is what we need as a country. We need to to start having these conversations. Freedom of speech is is incredibly important. And what happened through this dehumanization process over the last couple of years was that they they took out one side of the freedom of speech um, paradigm, I suppose. And when you do that, it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do because if one side of the argument isn't there, then you, you're going to make mistakes. And in that respect, freedom of speech is important is as important as food, water, and warmth to, to human beings. Um, and they took that away. And so when we have these people come along, and there have been people from the other side of the argument come along, um, I think it's important that we, you know, welcome them into the conversation and make sure that it's not just a fighting match anymore because there's such a massive division in, in New Zealand still today and we need to heal it somehow. Um, I'm not sure if mm. I've gone off topic there, actually. But no, no, I, I feel it's a really important part of this film about the rehumanization of just absolutely everything, our society. We, we really need to come together somehow. Because there's still a lot of anger out there. Oh, yeah. Look, at maybe even more, actually. Mm. Um, it blew me away. You had some beautiful pictures in there of the people. And I remember seeing them on those live feeds and, and just being so impressed with them. You know, I could feel the love of them through the device, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. And then I've spoken to a couple of politicians along the way who claimed that they were crapping themselves inside and, and were told that it was too dangerous <laughs> to come out and that they were looking out at this thing. I don't believe them. They're lying. Nice. They're lying their asses off. Because if you looked at those people, there's no way you could ever think they were a threat to you. There's just no way. And if you did, you need to have take a very long look at yourself. So they were lying when they said that. Seymour said that. Uh, absolutely. Look, we were there for 23 People days. People need to remember this, right? They need to. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we were there for, the protesters were there for 23 days. And the only time there was ever any trouble was when the police came in and started pushing people around. And I think you, you see that clearly in the uh, clearly in the film. The other periods of time, just remember, for those whole 23 days, if that was such a violent mob of aggressive people, then why did those barriers up the front of parliament stay intact the whole time? Everybody stayed on the side of the, 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 the lawn side, the Molesworth Street side of those barriers. The police were never in any danger whatsoever. They stood there with their, their arms folded for the entire time, probably getting bored out of their brains. Um, there was no violence there until the police came in and used pepper spray and sound cannons and, and, and shields to push people around. Um, and you see that clearly in the film. That's, that's what I experienced. There were prayers to start the day, hug breaks, singing. Um, that's what it was like to be there. Yeah, those sound cannons. Mm. So 
Who gave the New Zealand police permission to deploy weapons like that on New Zealand citizens? I don't recall ever having a referendum on that. No, I, look, um, there's there's people like Sue Gray who've done amazing work in asking for uh, questions, suitable questions on Official Information Act questions. And so there are a lot of there's a lot of information about that now. You can even see where it, where those sound cannons were deployed each day. Um, uh, or sorry, around on the last day on March. Without any 2nd, warning, right? No warning. Without any warning. Um, and they're military weapons, uh, f- from what I understand. But I don't know the ins and outs. One thing which, which is not shown in the film, um, which I kind of wish that I could have, but it was. Uh, it's also conject a little bit of conjecture as well. So there's a difference between presenting things as fact and things that are conjecture. And I don't think we'll ever know the answer to this, but I remember seeing the sound cannons on top of the cathedral and on top of the parliament buildings and the beehive in the weeks leading up to March the 2nd. And to me, that's really, really troubling to think that those things were, well, first of all, up the top of a church. Yeah. Who, who gave permission for that? Why, from what I understand, the the minister of that is the cathedral, isn't it? Gave permission to the protesters to camp on the lawns around the the church. Um, does well, that mean he the also get up there? Then I mean, is that does you that can't mean just that go onto gave, people's roofs without permission? Can you? Yeah. Well, does that mean that he gave permission to the police to put those up there as well? I think we um, should know about that. We don't know how they were used there. Were they just sitting there? or? But even they... to put them there. Sorry, mm. just even put them there. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, got, I've got photographs of it. I've got film of them being up there. They were there. Um, but the conjecture part of it is, is that what were they doing there? Yeah. Okay. So when you look at it after you've produced this thing, I mean, you were there for it. You shot, I think or directed Mm. the shooting of a lot of it. So, you know, it's really in your face. Those memories won't go quickly. I mean, you've seen it over and over as well. But when you're sitting down watching how other people react as it's playing down, you know, what are you feeling? Mm, That's a tough question, actually. Um, First of all, you know, the filming of it, I filmed it 90, 90, 5% 5% of it was just me and my camera. Um, on the final day, we have a few different camera angles from a couple of our other um, friends from Operation People. Um, and when I watch it, I feel, and when I see people, I suppose I feel a great sadness watching it, especially knowing how they treated the protesters, how the government, the media, and the police, those are the three that I I lay blame on, how they treated the protesters. It's incredibly sad to think that's where democracy in New Zealand has got to, where they refuse to even talk to anybody, where the government refuses to talk to the people they represent. The media vilifies and smears the people that they're supposed to represent the police attack them that scene where you see portaloo phil being eye gouged by a policeman yeah um you know as i was as i was making that part what a great name (laughs) (laughs) 
he he turned up to one of the the screenings the other day in Palmerston North, and apparently no action has been done on that at all from the police. No charges have been laid, nothing, and that's a, a travesty. But going back to your your point, you know what what am I feeling when I'm seeing people watching it? I'm I'm feeling a lot of pride because these were people who went down there and learned a great strength to stand there with their backs to the police, um, learned a lot of restraint, learned a lot of strength over these years just to stand up for what was right. And now they're coming along and they're seeing themselves on the big screen. It's incredibly empowering for, for everyone because our, our story is, the story of the protesters is being legitimized again. Like I said, the, the government and the media spent a lot of time dehumanizing these people and so for these people to be able to see themselves on the big screen it's a real healing experience for everybody and we get a lot of hugs afterwards as we go around doing this tour do you think paula penfold's come along with the disguise on to watch it (laughs) well i hope she does you know I, i think we we have to somehow we have to somehow start talking again and you know making a film where she didn't even go and talk to the people that she was making the film about is incredibly unfair. It's not filmmaking. It's, it's not, uh, it's not journalism. The media council um, backed her up. Remember? Yeah. And, and, you know, the New Zealand taxpayer paid for it all. But um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you've got her version of events, their version of events. And then, I'm really, really proud to say that we've now got another version of events, the one that I've made, which hopefully can balance that a little bit and be, you know, start to be part of that freedom of speech discussion, you know, putting idea A up against and testing it against idea B. That's what's happening, right? So um, hopefully she does come and see it and hopefully she um, she sees a few of the errors and what she's done and the way that she smeared and vilified good people who all they were interested in doing was standing up for their families and their friends who'd been locked out of society, who'd, who'd had their businesses destroyed, who'd been forced to take a medication which they didn't, they didn't want, who'd been injured by it. All these people killed. were doing was standing up for themselves. Let's not forget killed. Yeah. I think we yeah, can absolutely. say that now. I think we well, can say that. I, I, I always think about when when we talk about that subject i think about rory nan you know the reason i understand the reason that he took that injection was so that people could come to his wedding i know what an incredibly cruel thing to have happened and for these people to continue to tell a story which ignores these basic humanity i i find it um Incredibly hard to understand. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I find difficult to understand, though, I, I, I get why, because I'm I've spent my life in media, mm. and in news media mainly, and I I still find it difficult to understand how the media could have been so. What's the word? Involved in this, yeah. Uh, involved in this in the way they were, the the way that they 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 joined the establishment in the way they did, 
And I'm still perplexed by that. Have you got any idea about that now with a bit of time to reflect and the experiences you went through? Is there any easy way to explain that? Because they they were part of it. They um Absolutely. They were there. Yeah, and I think there's there's no greater image of exactly what you're talking about than those shots of them standing up there on the balcony. You know, when when I started in media, um, I had my first full-time journalism job in the newsroom in 1998. I remember arguing with one of the older journalists in the newsroom saying, you know, why are we letting this particular guy, you know, say this in our newspaper? He shouldn't be allowed to say that. And she turned around and she said to me, Alistair, you've got to understand, she, she quoted Voltaire. She said, I may disagree with what you have to say, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. And now in those days, I guess, where she had come from, the newsroom was the temple of free speech. It's not anymore. I think when I got into, into that situation, I was straight out of university and I think that, um, you know, they were starting to stock the newsrooms with young, cheap uh, journalist graduates like myself at the time. That's how I got my start. Right. Yeah. And you kind of see what's happened because of all of that. Um, there, there aren't those standards that the older journalists had anymore. And to see those journalists standing up there on that balcony, I don't see how you can tell the story of the people from the other side. I can't see how you can be as journalists should be as the last bulwark against tyranny to, to be the last bulwark on the other side, on the side of tyranny. I don't see how you can do that. And they never attempted at all to come down and, and talk when they, I remember watching one journalist come down and, uh, interview somebody and all they did was just accuse 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 they never sought to understand um and it's it's really frightening for for us as new zealanders i'm not sure how the media comes back from this to be honest with you i don't think they do trust in the media is at an all-time low i think the the latest horizon poll that we talked about on chantelle's show some time ago now was uh, trust in the media is down to 43 percent and they all they all sit there and they go, oh, I wonder why that is. Well, isn't it obvious if, you, if you're actually attacking people? You know, there's a, there's a really good story about that. You know, going back to that um, Phil Peters being eye-gouged up against the Portaloos that morning. When I, w- I wanted to show that, so I went and looked for footage on YouTube of it. And I found a clip of one of the newsreaders. I believe it was Mike McRoberts, but I... I can't, I can't be sure. I'm 99% sure it was Mike McRoberts. And he was standing up in front of a video wall and the footage of Phil Peters being eye gouged by a policeman was being shown behind him. And Mike McRoberts was standing there saying, the protesters attacked the police today. So you see what's happening here? This is Gaslighting 101. This is George Orwell's wet dream. Yeah, He's totally standing is. there saying, don't believe what you see, believe what I say. It's the, the public was trained by the media to just to not believe their own eyes. The it's question incredible. is, though, was he saying that in the knowledge of knowing what the picture showed or getting something wrong 
or was he told to say that? And if so, mm. how do you tell someone, because I'm imagining myself in that situation, to say that when you know it's completely false? Not only that, it's it's immoral, and it's the kind of thing that you could struggle later with your conscience from doing mm. that, uh, struggle um, with. Um, why would you do that? I can I can only and guess. have any credibility ever. You can only guess at the motivations. Eh? Uh, I I have absolutely no idea how anybody could do that in good conscience. I think there's there's one speech or one sort of monologue that you hear in part one, where this incredibly inspiring young man from the Hawkes Bay. Um, who ended up getting arrested on February the 10th, he, he just speaks his mind and says, you know, how can you possibly stand by and watch what's going on and participate in it when you can hear people saying, I've lost this, I've lost that, and just claim that they're liars to their faces? How can you do that in good conscience? It's, it's completely bewildering to most people. Um, but somehow they seem to do it. And I don't know. Uh, you, I think you've been in broadcasting a lot longer than me, Paul. So you've probably got more insights into that than I do. Well, I think they, for a start, um, think they're a lot smarter and special than mm. they actually are. Uh, there's a there's an arrogance in there that I don't know where that's come from. But um, it's almost bulletproof, as you've as you've seen, <laughs> as evidenced by the way they the part they played in all of this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to make an apology to everyone now because I'm a Wellingtonian and I grew up here and some of the best days of my life have been here. I was out on the motorways when the Springbok tour protest was on. I thought we stood for something in New Zealand. And I want to say to anyone who, um, well, to, to everyone who, who came to Wellington, I wasn't there at the time. Thank you for doing your duty. It was a duty, actually, a moral duty. And I want to apologize on behalf of Wellington for the way you were treated. I am so sorry. That's what I want to say. There's something on that too, though, Paul, that I do feel like we have to we have to remember these people who perpetrated this on New Zealanders and they did it on people around the world and most Western countries all Western countries, they spent billions of dollars doing this on advertising and buying out media companies and so on to really brainwash people into acting this way. Um, and, 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 and in many ways, when you think of it like that, the tragedy here is, sure, there's, there's a lot of hurt on the side of the people who were the protesters um, who were not listened to, who were vilified and, and their homes were, were broken up and their businesses were destroyed and people were injured and killed. There is a lot of hurt there, but there's also a lot of unseen hurt on the other side, which is, you know, how do people come back from that when they start seeing, when they start seeing what happened and how they were brainwashed and how they reacted and now, how do they actually come back from that when they start seeing it? I'm, I'm not sure how you how you solve that. Neither am I. Um, no. Mm. Well, what worries me is there's a big some, danger in it. Some yeah. 
what do we do? Let the tire down slowly or let it explode in our faces? Well, you know, as we go around doing this tour around the country, um, one of the big questions that you get after all of this is, you know, what do we do? We're in an election year. What do we do? And there are a lot of different, there are a lot of ranges of answers that people talk about or ranging from don't participate in the system to you have to participate or else you're just asking for more of the same. And I think in a way, <laughs> excuse me, in a way, a lot of that answer is, well, what's the problem here? We have, we have corruption. We have, we have a government that doesn't listen to the people. We have a government that vilifies people. This is not the way we need to, we have a system. We just need to fix it. And I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure um, how we do that without revolution. My part in it is to try and make this film and try and get people talking about it. Um, and I'm sure there are other people that are going to pick up the slack in other places. Yeah, well, you're doing your bit, that's for sure, and that's part of letting the air out of the tyre slow rather than letting it uh, overinflate. Well, and it's, and and it's changing the culture too, right? It's changing the culture. It's getting people to actually start talking about what the problems are so that we can we can actually start doing something about it. And I do think that there is a part of that conversation for those people who were on the other side, who were who, who were hoodwinked into behaving appallingly. I remember on the third day getting down there to Wellington and I was filming down on the bottom, out, uh, uh, on the, the traffic island next to the law school there. And I was filming a sign that said, you know, don't trust the media and the government. And there was the beehive in the background. And this bus driver pulls his bus right up in front of me. He's going up to the bus station. He stops right in front of me in the middle of the road, opens his window, leans out and says, I hope you all die of COVID. <laughs> you know? Nice. What made this guy act in that way? Is he usually that way? Is, is he just a really angry, hateful person? Or was he... Was he made to be that way by just this vitriol that our government and our media spewed every day? He was probably made to a you know, substantial level to feel that way. But hang on, we've got to take responsibility for our behavior as adults, mm, particularly. Yeah. So, you know, that only goes so far, actually. So then it's a then it's a cultural discussion, right? It's it's how are we going to stop this happening again in the future? Um, we have to rededicate ourselves to to things like truth, um, yeah. now to democracy, word. to freedom of speech, all of these things which they currently seem to be doing every bit they can to tear down. Um, and I don't see how we get anything but the same as what we got over the last three years out of that. Well. The, that period of time that you documented will live on in people's memories for a long time and they'll be able to access those images thanks to you and put into that documentary form and that will be there forever in a day unless someone goes and tries to find all the tapes and destroy them. Who knows? That might happen one day. Um, <laughs> it's never going to be broadcast. It's a, it's a great piece for broadcast, but they'll never broadcast it and that's everything you need to know right there. I think I personally feel like this, it will find uh, an audience, a mainstream audience one day, maybe in like 20 years time or something when everybody's calmed down. Um, but like I said, it's, it's there now. 
Um, you, you can't argue with what you're seeing. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and it's my experience of what happened. And it certainly sort of shines the light on how much, how many lies that were spread about the whole thing. I always remember when I was down there, actually, how many, the only thing the media seemed to get right about us was that we were there. I was absolutely <laughs> shocked about how much they lied about things and they, they deliberately twisted the truth about, about basically everything. Um, it, it was a real eye opener. And I think that when people start to see this film, it will also be an eye opener because it's still very fresh in our minds. And for them to be able to see things like Phil Peters being pushed up against a portaloo and eye gouged is really, really quite confronting. And then to think, hold on, did I see anything about that in the media? Um, yeah, you, you just don't, you don't see it in the media. I don't know why, because that was one of the most appalling things I've ever seen a police officer do. Yeah. Well, I can probably tell you why, but that, that's, yeah, that, that's for another day. Perhaps. Well, and the other one is, is the, the, the use of fire extinguishers on protesters. You know, there is a protester right now who is in prison for firing a fire extinguisher at the police. And the judge said, you know, th that could have killed someone. Um, and they were able to identify him and they, they sent him to jail. Now, in this film, you see very clearly three yes, police officers. I know the scene, yep. Turning fire extinguishers on protesters, on, on Chantal and, and her, her husband, Jacob, and, um, and a couple of other people who were on top of the gate. You know, they could have died if they'd fallen from there, um, which they could easily have done. Yet there is, there is absolutely no prosecution for that. I don't understand how the New Zealand public can see these things and not ask those questions. So hopefully this film does actually uh, open up those kinds of conversations a little bit. Two-tier justice system, I think. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, thanks, Alistair, for your work and for – doing this thank you it's a great result um in terms of of you know the story that it tells the images that you've captured there and i don't know if it's good for my blood pressure <laughs> <laughs> not many things are good for my blood pressure these days now if people want to see this um yes how can they okay so right now we're just we've got the the last few the last week or so of our tour of the North Island, we've we've already been Waihi, Pukekohe, Silverdale, Fakatane, Gisborne, um, Havelock North, Palmerston North, Opanaki, uh, Wanganui. We've had sellouts in theatres in Pukekohe and Gisborne and Opanaki and, and Wanganui. We're now currently going over the next few days, Telpo. Um, followed by Auckland at Sylvia Park, Hoyt Sylvia Park on the 29th. The 30th, we will be at uh, Whangarei at the top of the Brindirwin Hills at Skyliner Cafe. Um, that's open for everybody to, to go to. And then on July the 1st, the final one is in Christchurch. Um, before we launch it online. So if you're wanting to catch a screening, then come along to go, go to wecamehereforfreedom.com. That's our website for the, for the film. And you'll see all the dates where, and the places near you where you can go to. 
um, to watch it and to book tickets and so on. I really recommend if you're in the Auckland area, come down to Sylvia Park. The tickets are selling really, really quickly. Sorry, there was one that I missed out there. Um, my hometown on the 28th, Wednesday the 28th, we're going to be in Rotorua mm-hmm. um, in the old Odeon Theatre. It's a great old building, so come on down for that too. The tickets are on Eventbrite, Event Finder for that one. Um, and then on July the 1st, we will be launching it online so that as many New Zealanders as possible can see it. So there's no no barrier to entry. There's no no cost to watch it online. Um, we just need as many New Zealanders to see this as possible so we can start balancing the narrative. What they said to us in the media through our official channels was not the truth. Um, and people need to see this so that we can start to have those conversations. Otherwise, we've just got a divided nation forever. Mm-hmm. So those are the ways you can see it. Um, go to WeCam. Oh, one other thing about WeCamHereForFreedom.com. We're also making it into a sort of a, uh, a museum exhibition style website. So you can go there and look and see artwork and poetry and writing and, and voice memories and music of people who were there and their experiences at it you know again it's all about the rehumanizing of the dehumanized um Mm. and it's a it's a beautiful thing to see some of the artwork that came out of that event is absolutely incredible so i i yeah that's the way that you see it we came here for freedom.com okay and it's we came here for freedom part two we're talking about here alistair harding is the well, you're, you're everything, really, aren't you? Producer, cameraman, substantially. I just call myself rich. the filmmaker. The yeah. filmmaker. That's, yeah. that's the modern-day filmmaker yeah. uh, now. And uh, you've done a great job. It's uh, under the um, Operation People banner too, right? Yeah, so um, Operation People, uh, obviously Chantel Baker's yeah. um, crew, um, they helped with some of the filming and, and so on and, you know, really appreciated and, of course, my own company, Hennigaijin Studio, which is my own documentary filmmaking company. Well, great that you could come on and, and tell us about it, Alistair. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. It's really good to, to finally be on your show rather than just listening to it. <laughs> Anytime, <laughs> brother. Um, and uh, I'm, I do recommend to folks, if you're in one of the areas that um, is still on the, uh, the, the screening trail, go have a look. And just give us that date again, Alistair, when it will be available to everybody online, just so people... July the 1st. Okay, July the 1st. Yeah. And share it far and wide. Let's get as many New Zealanders seeing it as possible. Okay. Thanks for coming on, Alistair. Thank you very much, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.